to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Lauren Like. Today we have two guests joining us to talk about innovation. With us today are Dr. David Pittman, the Director of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center and Director of Research and Development and Chief Scientist of the Corps, and Aaron Rooks, who is a supervisor with the Institute for Water Resources, who has been working on innovation in various capacities for many years. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Lauren and Angela. Yeah, thank you. And so in a recent Civil Works Strategic Workshop, our Army Corps of Engineers leaders talked a lot about innovation and the need for the Corps to be innovative with all aspects of project delivery. Dr. Pittman, how would you describe innovation and how are you seeing innovation being applied throughout the Corps? Well, I think innovation is just real simple. It's just doing things differently in a new way. And hopefully you're going to do those things in a new way that's going to make things better. That's the idea. And so, I mean, that's just as kind of simple as it is. And the ERDIC, the Engineering Research and Development Center, uh, I'm the director there, it's our research labs. It's the research laboratories of the Corps of Engineers. And our business is all about coming up with discovering, developing, and delivering new ways to make the world safer and better every day. That's kind of our tagline. And so we're kind of in the business of innovating, primarily from a technology standpoint, and helping the Corps of Engineers and, and the Army and the nation really uh, come up with new and better ways, technologies primarily, to, to do what they do. Yeah, and I think um, with innovation, what we're starting to see is also going beyond the general technology. You know, it's really exciting to see some of the efforts going on by the DOD Innovation Board that's now leading to DOD directives, such as streamlining acquisition and using agile processes. Also, recruitment, there's new mechanisms, DOD STEM programs to bring in people. There's also uh, efforts on underway to innovate the work environment that we're in and also how we work. You know, we're to the point now where there's a movement to work anywhere, anytime. And I think that the Army is maybe starting to embrace that with the pandemic, but there's lots of options in Lots of opportunities going on with technology and beyond. It's pretty exciting. Um, Aaron, you've wore many hats throughout the years, and, you know, you've either led or been involved with various projects that had innovative components to it. And, and so as the leaders talk about innovation, you know, what are some suggestions for staff that, that are having innovative ideas and, and really want to push them in the organization? What are some advice that you would give them? Certainly certain offices, especially within the Institute for Water Resources and ERDIC, offers more of a forum to be able to share those ideas. But what if you're not in those locations? It makes it pretty tough. And it really depends at that point as to where you're at, what you're trying to do, you know, does your supervisor support you? And where are you trying to go with ideas? How connected are you to some of these external organizations? So I think there's a lot to consider, specifically within teams. You know, depending on someone's position, are they in the position to be able to drive innovation, or are they in the mode of operation and that's not really their thing? There's a lot to think about on that regard. I think the advice that I would give someone, sort of no matter where you're at, is hopefully you've found a complimentary fit in your office, and you need to be able to learn 
collaborate, work across the entire organization and see what's out there for like interest. I think that's really important that we talk to people and that we interconnect with not only people within the organization, but outside of the organization to really bring the best innovation at hand. And within the core, I mean, you really need to be resilient. I hit a lot of hurdles trying to be innovative to the point that sometimes you, know, you almost end up in tears going, good Lord, like, why am I doing this? And you, you got to be tough and you got to be brave in some respect and willingness to stand up uh, and do what you think is right for the organization. But backing that up with research and teamwork and really trying to work across um, all these lines. How do you encourage innovation and and what would you suggest for other leaders to do to encourage innovation and for staff members, how, how do you think they should pursue their innovative ideas going forward? Well, well thanks, Lauren, and, and agree 100% with Aaron, by the way, he does great insights. And so in the Erdic and IWR, it's kind of our business, you know, to come up with new ways of doing things. But I'm telling you, there's innovation across the core. Uh, the operators out there, design engineers, uh, park rangers, uh, everybody out in the core is really trying to do the right thing every day, and they're coming up with new ways of doing things. You know, whether it's uh, technologies that we do in the labs and kind of things or just a, a different way of going about things. Nobody knows their job better than the person who's actually doing it out there. And we're, we're full, 35,000 people across the core, you know, just very bright folks just trying to do the right thing every day. And so, you know, what I encourage folks to do is, you know, think about those things. Uh, we're really encouraging it from the top. General Spellman is really putting a big emphasis right now on innovating and trying to deliver, you know, what we do in the Civil Works mission, whether it's navigation or flood risk management or environmental programs or on the military program side, you know, supporting the warfighter and our installations and environmental research. You know, it's a huge, broad mission that has grown tremendously, primarily because the public gives us their trust to do it. But it, the, the mission is so big, and the resources to get it done are relatively small, We've got to be creative and innovative in how we apply those to solve these huge problems. And so the chief has asked all of us, all of us leaders, uh, he's, he's our biggest leader in the core, to try to think out of the box and come up with ways. Ultimately, we have to deliver upon the public's trust to get these things done, and we will because that's what we do. But we've got to come up with better ways, whether it's research and development kind of ways or just doing something differently out there on a river or on a military installation to get these done. And so all the leaders in the core really are emphasizing that uh, right now. How do we how do we do this differently? How do we do this better? And you'll see that encouragement coming uh, from the top. And I know as Aaron talks about, you know, we'll see a lot from all echelons within the organization as well. Great. Thank you. And, and you just mentioned in uh, that response, talking about some of the impediments that we face in terms of pursuing innovative ideas. So I know you mentioned resources, both in funds and, and staff time. Are there other impediments out there, and, and how do you work to overcome those? Well, uh, again, we have this, this huge mission that we have to deliver. So if we have to get a river open for navigation, you know, the rivers are like highways. We've got to get the commerce on them. And so those operations folks out there working in, you know, the Mississippi Valley Division, Lakes and Rivers Division, for instance, they have to keep the rivers open with the money they have to work with. And, and they're going to do it because they've done it for years. But we, we know that there's not an infinite short uh, amount of resources out there to get it done. And so they're constantly trying to come up with 
there's a concept called engineering with nature, for instance, right now that we're we're using nature itself, the forces of the river, you know, the, the forces of nature to help keep those waterways uh, dredged out and use the sediment material that might just be disposed on somebody's farm and actually use it to create a wetlands and, and get some flood risk management uses out of it as well. So those that's the kind of creativity that we can put out there. And because we're constantly chasing that big, you know, get, keep these facilities going, keep these rivers going. Uh, and the engineers, the Corps of Engineers, we've been doing it since 1775, we're the best group to do it. So it's it's a lot of resource challenges that we have, and that's not just in our mission of the Corps. That's that's across the spectrum uh, in our entire government. We're, I frankly believe we're the best in the world at doing it, but it doesn't make the, uh, the, the challenge any smaller. Besides that, I think uh, I think resources is the biggest challenge, and it's it's constantly then trying to stay on top of the technology. You know, how do we borrow from the private sector? Uh, the private sector industry is a huge driver of R&D these days. How do we work with our academic partners out there and even internationally to make sure that we're always – it doesn't have to be an, an inside idea. You know, the, a lot of the great ideas are, are certainly outside of the Corps of Engineers. And so to, how do we partner across academia, industry, and internationally to bring those good ideas uh, into the core? And then finally, our, our own culture. You know, do we are we willing to accept new ideas? Are we willing to try new things? You know, sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world just to, hey, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for 20 years. It's the best way, and it and it very well could be. But is is there a willingness to try something new? And I believe most people uh, are, are willing to do that, but you've got this balance between i got to get this done and am I willing to try a different way. And that's everybody has a different approach at that. But as an organization, how do we lift that up so everybody say, hey, it's okay. And as leaders, we say it's okay to try something new, even if it doesn't work exactly the way we thought it's going to work. That's kind of our challenge culturally that a lot of organizations are facing these days. You're adding on to that, you know, change is hard. We all know that, and right. we are just like everyone else on that. Additionally, I think we have a knowledge gap of sort of basic technology in, in certain areas and innovation education and sort of that philosophy of building that culture. Of course, money is a big one. The way we fund things doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for innovation in applied innovation. Rules and bureaucracy, you know, I had a mentor once that joked about the efficiency police, and it wasn't until years later that I sort of understood that right when you think that you're being innovative and you're improving things, the efficiency police will catch up to you. You know, being counting, I'm sure we're all aware of that terminology, but, you know, the lack of some basic technology in some offices, I think, hinders us. Additionally, looking at our office environment and recruitment, are we really inspiring change? Are we inspiring people to want to work for us and to get the right recruitment? You know, we have a problem in that legacy systems are out there. They're expensive, but they're critical. There's a lot of redundancies, too. How do we overcome that to better serve the public and provide data and information in a meaningful fashion? And what's out there? We're really good at looking at our own path forward, but how do we look outside of the Corps of Engineers and steal from some of the things that are working? Challenge.gov, 18-app, DOD Innovation Board, GSA, they have some great examples. 
Acquisition, as I mentioned, is starting to be reformed, and that's a huge area of improvement and where we can overcome some challenges. And then just leadership. There's a lot that leaders can do to create that environment. We need to be able to fail quickly so that we can innovate and make incremental changes. We need the support for innovation education. We need to also provide time. You know, some of our leadership, it turns over so quickly, it doesn't give the time to really grow the program. And you end up with a lot of flavors of the day, a lot of different programs, redundancies. And sometimes you get people who are essentially volunteers who have time available versus the best and brightest trying to lead the path on innovation. And I think that needs to change. But I do believe that we have a strong tradition of being innovative and doing some amazing things for the country to provide public service. And we have some great staff across all of our offices, especially on Institute for Water Resources and Erdic, working on data in data management and how to better provide that to the public that is exciting and will provide new opportunities. But that multidiscipline approach, setting the culture, being able to look outside of our box and build from what's already working incrementally, I think, are ways to overcome those impediments. So talking about um, building trust and partnerships and then also um, change, right? Um, recently, we all <laughs> had a change in environment and we became more virtual. Um, and speaking of innovation, you know, has it been easier or more difficult to be innovative and build or maintain those innovative cultures uh, within your organization in the current virtual environment that we're in? So, Dr. Pittman, I'll go to you first. Oh, yeah. You talk about innovating. Uh, just as you said, Angela, we've had to innovate just to do what we do every day since COVID started. You know, when we all went home, essentially, in March, we thought, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, is this going to be a week, a month, six weeks? Certainly, we'll be back to work. And yet, you know, I'm sitting in my house right now talking to you because <laughs> we're, we're mostly teleworking. And that's true across the core. Uh, at early today, we're probably about 25% of our team is actually on the job at our physical location where we do our work most of the time. And the other 75% is doing a brilliant job right at home. And, oh, by the way, they're dealing with children going to school. They're dealing with a spouse that has to go to work. They're, you know, they're dealing with life while they're getting this amazing job done every day. And I think that is just a tremendous testimony to just the innovative, persistent professionalism, creativity of our entire team. And that's not just at early. At early, again, about 25%, you know, are coming in every day, and most of us are, are are teleworking and putting in a lot of hours. But we, but we also looked at our productivity. We looked at, hey, we got this huge program. We had a record program in Erdic uh, this year. The Corps of Engineers had a record program. How far are we getting behind? Are we actually getting things done? And we actually measured that uh, weekly, monthly, and only about less than 10% of our projects were actually delayed by any amount. And zero of them were canceled because, you know, it's just like in the core and early, we work for others uh, on a lot of what we do. They were signed. I mean, so the people we're working for, they're going through the same thing. And so we we're kind of all in this together and didn't lose one project. We, we managed expectations well. And now, you know, we expect 21 to be even bigger than 20. So we had to innovate to get through this. And I think it's a testament to our team, our adaptability. By the way, we took on a huge mission when this happened. You know, just a few days into the to COVID, we took on this uh, alternative care facility mission. It's, 
you know, the chief uh, was asked by Governor Cuomo in New York, hey, I need hospital beds. I'm running out of hospital beds. And that started it. In the end, we built thousands of additional beds across the United States. Every district, every division was involved. The Arctic was involved. IWR was involved. And we were able to deliver, again, 15,000 beds across the nation to help with the bed capacity issue that we were facing, particularly in New York and and Chicago and, and other high-density populations where it was affected initially. So we innovated on top of innovating. Very, very successfully delivered that, and, and we're still dealing with it. So I think it's, you know, it's kind of the new normal, uh, as, as uh, Aaron was talking about a little bit. How are we going to adapt to this? I don't think we're ever going back to what, the way we were doing business in January, frankly, because we figured out how to do this now. And in some ways, it's actually better, I believe. Productivity is up in some ways. We've learned how to do this. I have communicated by WebEx, Teams, Zoom, FaceTime. You know, tele- I live on the telephone these days. I mean, so we know in some ways how to communicate even better than we did before. I think the silver lining is we're learning how to adapt, how to do things differently. We did it because we had to, frankly, but we did it, and we learned for it, and I think in many ways we'll be better. Uh, because of yes, absolutely. You know, I am super um, impressed and proud to be part of the Corps of Engineers because I really think we we did step up in a time of need, and we we were very innovative in our approaches uh, on how we did everything. Uh, Aaron, I did want to toss it to you and see if you had anything to add to that. Yeah, I think we're in a paradigm right now that really presents an opportunity. GSA has embraced this for a long time, and I think it's a really good government model. They actually issue people hotspots and essentially give them the freedom but trust them to work anywhere they want, when they want. And it's amazing what's coming out of there innovation-wise, and I think it's a great example of what we could be doing and doing more of in the future. Clearly, this has emphasized the importance of the cloud providing data services that are more accessible. You know, in our office in particular, we have focused programs on innovation, one called New Horizons, and I think that keeps us centered on keeping that innovation culture within our office, and we have other activities going on as well. But it really is an opportunity that we should take advantage of when it comes to recruitment and creating a culture where people do feel trusted. Now, taking a step back, what did we see when this all happened at the end of the last fiscal year? It seemed like less people were traveling, and that initially seemed as a negative. But what we saw also was an increase in productivity, and that was pretty neat. And you can see that in several metrics that went on. Forbes actually talked about this recently, and they said one of the downsides when it comes to innovation and not being in the office is the serendipitous encounters that we have when we bump into somebody in the office and you start talking and these ideas start flowing. So I do think that that's a bit of a challenge that we face. We did a recent survey, two of our staff, and it seemed to suggest in general that people were pretty happy in the virtual environment, but equally there was a group that was missing that face-to-face encounters. So on one hand, I think for some people it's a thriving environment. It gives them time to think a bit more about what they're doing and some of the innovation and having the, I think innovation comes from sort of a relaxed atmosphere when you have some time to think, you're not putting out fires on everything. 
but there's certainly a group of people that thrives and certainly innovation that thrives with those face-to-face -face encounters. So I think it's just a little different in emphasizing new things. But again, a huge opportunity for the Corps of Engineers if we take it and we run with it. Great. Thank you, Erin. Yes, I, I completely agree. And this is definitely, uh, as you both have highlighted, an opportunity for the for these innovative ideas and, and really adapting as an organization to our changing times. So it's been interesting to see how, how as an organization, uh, we've adapted uh, going forward. And, you know, we wanted to transition a little bit to, to talk about those examples of innovation that you've seen. You know, we've talked um, about innovation from a, a 10,000 foot level, but wanted to dive into maybe some of the great examples that you've seen on innovation throughout the course. So, Erin, I'll toss it to you first. What are some of the great examples of innovation that you see? Yeah, so there's some really awesome stuff going on, and I wish I had more time to dive into all of it. The one that really stands out for me is going back a couple years, but still very cool, is down in Jacksonville District. I was doing some research on unmanned aircraft systems, and specifically Victor Wilhelm, and the group down there work on unmanned aircraft systems, small ones, and they designed a 3D, uh, through a 3D printer, a device that actually held little bugs. And they figured out how to make these little bugs sort of fall asleep. And what's the purpose of this, you're probably asking. Well, they're working on the Everglades, and they're trying to treat an invasive exotic species. So these little bugs, when dispersed, would actually eat this specific plant. And so they found a way to put them into this little 3D box and then deliver them through a small unmanned aircraft system and attempt to uh, target these species. So I haven't followed up with them in terms of how effective it was, but it's that sort of innovative thinking that I think is, is what's driving sort of the next generation technology-wise. Similarly, there's been some research and applied research, I think many of it from Erdic and beyond on using robotics and doing 3D imaging and also applying those 3D sensors and those imaging on unmanned aircraft systems underwater. When you start putting these technologies and you start bringing them together, it's really incredible some of the, the products that you can get out of it and the ability to quickly identify, identify say, problem areas, whether it's pipes or levees, other things going on. One of the, some of the work that we're specifically working on is looking at data, data pools, and how do we start integrating data better in a more meaningful fashion. So a couple of things that I specifically work on is the development of the Enterprise Risk Register. It's an online application that's meant to be completely transparent, but also accessible to not just planners, engineers, but the whole gamut of those with, uh, who have a CAT card and the ability for everybody to be able to log in, easily understand how to enter in risk to help manage enterprise risk as a whole, I think is going to, in the long run, prove to be really beneficial. We're going to be able to collect more data. We're going to be able to organically have lessons learned and see how things are working as time goes on. Additionally, we're looking at combining different technologies together. For example, we have a geo-reference library that also brings in what someone's expertise is and what they're working on to provide them custom recommendations of what that person needs to know. The whole idea behind it is to create tools that are just-in-time training, 
they get the information when they need it, where they need it. So, for example, in the long run, hopefully, when you're filling out a risk register, it'll provide you some sort of custom advice and help as you go along. So it's not an additional one-off training or it's not an additional resource where you got to come through hundreds of pages of guidance. It's targeting you and getting what you need when you need it. So those are a few different innovations that are pretty exciting, and I know there's a lot more out there. Great. Yeah, thank you, Erin. And, and Dr. Pittman, I'm sure you have plenty of examples as well, but could you highlight just a few for us? Yes, ma'am. I have hundreds, just like Erin does. I mean, that's what we do. Uh, Erdic is what I call Disney World for engineers and scientists. I mean, it is such a creative place. But the biggest difference between Erdic and Disney World is at Erdic, the magic is actually real. We, we make some incredible things happen. Just give an example. So uh, just with COVID. So, again, I was talking about the alternative care facilities that we were building, but the beginning of all this, we didn't really have a good idea about, you know, what cases, what the hotspots would be around the nation. You know, medical science isn't our mission, right? We're engineers and scientists sort of in the civil and military engineering fields, but we actually have people trained in epidemiology just, just for some of our social cultural modeling. And we told a team, just like Aaron said, some of the best work is always multidisciplinary. So we had epidemiologists, we had civil engineers, we had data scientists, we had other kind of modelers and put together a team that was able to do some COVID modeling simulation forecasting essentially for where would the hotspots be? You know, John Hopkins had models, Connor Mellon had models, there were several models out there, but particularly for areas outside the continental United States like Guam and other countries and even in CENTCOM, the Middle East, for instance, where our forces are, we had no idea what was going to happen out there. And so we put together a team in a matter of just a few weeks, had a modeling and simulation capability that could predict where COVID was going to hit, what, what the epidemiology curves were going to be, pretty much across the United States and hotspots around the world. And it didn't exist just a few weeks earlier. And now it's actually one of about 16 models that's featured on the CDC's website. So who would have thought, you know, we'd have the capability to pull together something like that just that quickly and that's the kind of team we have. I mean, whether it's environmental science, geotechnical and structures work, information technology, our coastal hydraulics lab, construction engineering, co-region engineering, or geospatial research, that kind of collective talent across the board, working with, uh, again, a lot of our partners, can come up with some of the world's best solutions out there. You know, and that actually reminds me, one of the things that you're talking about, too, that I think is really important, important that we point out is the use of sort of this user-centered design in agile development, which it sounds like you embraced for that specific project, is being able to bring together quickly the people who are impacted by the final product, get their input, and then design a little bit, redesign, and fail quickly if you need to, but get to that product, you know, much quicker than trying to do a whole design and then build out. It's a very quick sprint that I think is the future of where innovation is going and should be going. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll give you another example. We, we had an example where when we do our physical models, so we have a coastal and hydraulics lab, which is kind of our original lab in Erdic. We started back in 1929 after the Great Flood of 27, sort of doing, started with physical models of all the nation's navigable waterways, so the Mississippi River, Ohio River, intercoastal uh, waterways, every port in the United States, and, and many of overseas all started with physical modeling, these, these scale models that we have in these huge hangars in Vicksburg. 
By the way, come and see us if you if you never come. Anybody listening to this podcast, this podcast wants to come see us, please do. It's just fascinating. But the challenge was after after COVID was first of all getting and building those models, and then secondly, when we do build a model, it might it might cost a million dollars to build a model of a of a port, say, of Anchorage or a port of Charleston. So it's very intricate work, and you have to get the details right, the scales exactly right. You're facing a fifty million dollar decision, right? And you want to make sure you get it right. So we're taking the risk as a decision making. Well, when COVID hit, we couldn't really bring. Uh, the workforce in to build the models as much. So we came up with a way, we're already working on it, of actually building the models instead of a lot of painstaking, hand labor, concrete, and trial work, actually building these using 3D printers uh, out of styrofoam and other plastic materials. So we could use 3D printing technology, build that scale model to exactly the right dimensions, put it in place almost like a puzzle, put a little plastic on top so you have the right flow characteristics, and then to bring the people in that actually need to make the decisions about it from across the core and, and other resource agencies out there that have an interest, we actually did live stream of it. So instead of bringing them to Vicksburg, we put it online, we did a live stream, we showed them how the water flowed, we showed them what happened when we adjusted uh, parameters, and we were able to make decisions without people physically being here for the first time since 1929. And so that's how we pulled that together. Again, another innovation on top of innovation. Yeah, Dr. Pitcher, that brings me to another innovation that I know Erdic has dabbled in and so has others in the core, which is the use of some of these digital sandboxes in augmented reality and new right. software that will take your CAD drawings and render them into 3D, and then you put on the headset and such, and you can be immersed in that design, or you can overlay that design into reality so that when you're looking at it, you can visualize what that design is. And in this virtual environment, I think that there's a ton of opportunity for more of that, taking it one step further. And I think the core is starting to dabble in it, and it will probably start proving dividends in the future. Well, Aaron, we could go all day. Here's another great example, COVID example, actually. I'm not sure if you knew this, but we actually used uh, augmented reality and virtual reality actually supporting so when we built these alternative care facilities, we had like a 1,000 sites where we could potentially build these. And so the Corps was responsible for doing inspection on the sites to see, you know, hey, would this actually do for, a, for an alternative care facility? It might even be a, a stadium parking lot or something like that or maybe a parking garage. When we did these early inspections, we were putting people at risk to do them because it takes teams of these people going out. And we came up with an augmented reality capability where somebody could do exactly what you said where iPhone-looking glasses go out there and transmit back in a virtual reality sense back to a home base, back at the office, so to speak, and do a visual inspection right there in front of them, put it on the map, do all the, the checks, and do with one person what it would normally take four people to do and take all day to do it and do it in a very safe and better environment. So that's a real-life example of using augmented reality to do a critical mission very quickly that we were in the middle of, and from that, it spawned a lot more applications just since March on how we do our regular mission in the Corps of years of Civil Works and Military Programs. So, again, another great example. So I do want to go on and just talk about the future. You know, the Corps is constantly evolving, and so is technology. And so looking in the future, you know, what are some technology uh, features that are going to be needed or what are some trends? that will help shape uh, the core or even shape water resources in the future? 
Well, thank you. Well, as just as it turns out, we've been talking a lot about that recently on the civil work side. Uh, what what does the future hold? So, uh, talking with Al Lee, you know, Director of Civil Works, and General Graham, you know, this, the DCG for Civil Works, and other leaders across the core about, hey, you know, what what are the big sort of big nuggets out there, the focus areas that we need to focus on uh, from an R&D standpoint, the technology development areas that are right. And we came up with six of them. So these are the six areas. The big reveal, we just decided these last week, these are the six areas we think offer the most opportunity for change and benefit inside the core in the civil works mission. By the way, we're going to do this for military programs starting tomorrow on the military programs mission. But one is called sustainable species management. So we have, you've heard of harmful algal blooms. You've heard of Asian carp. These, uh, these species that are out there, whether the plants or animals, that really inhibit us from doing our mission well and just cause all kinds of problems out there. We've got to come up with technologies to deal with that, to mitigate those issues in the future. Another one is uh, just our water sources research, uh, water resources infrastructure. You know, we've got an aging infrastructure. It's failing around us. We've got to come up with new materials, new technologies, new prediction models. That make it uh, make it last longer. We have innovations in sediment management. And we spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year just moving mud around, you know. And, and so, how can we do something better with that? How can we make more beneficial use of that sediment, uh, not just to get it out of the riverbed, but you know, make wetlands out of it, get some great beneficial use out of it as well, simultaneously. Another one is uh, this is this is a little tricky. Comprehensive hydroterrestrial risk management. <laughs> I almost can't say it. It's basically it's it's hydraulic model hydraulic modeling on steroids. So we have all these great uh, models out there, and some of the world's best, by the way. And how do we take it to the next level so that if I've got rain coming down in, in Iowa or you know Upper Miss, Fargo, North Dakota, how do I know it's going to impact in New Orleans, you know, six weeks from now? And by the way, with a hurricane on top of that coming in, we've had a record hurricane season. And oh, by the way. Why don't you lay some COVID on top of that and see what happens? So how can we model that much more effectively so that we can reduce our cost of actually doing flood risk management, for instance, or navigation? Another area is just data analytics, artificial intelligence, robotics. you got to be playing with that, okay? I think data is one of our biggest resources we have in the core. We're full of data. We just don't know exactly what to do with it. And I think we can do things much more efficiently and effectively with that. And then finally, the big uh, mission of the Corps called, uh, we're calling it crisis mitigation response. So that really is, how do we respond to hurricanes? How do we respond to tornadoes? Uh, again, lay COVID on top of it. A lot of times we're kind of reactive because that's our mission. We don't get the mission assignment until after the disaster. So how can we think ahead and make sure that we're prepared? So whether it's the UAVs that Aaron was talking about earlier, different blue roof technologies or MICA is different apps that we can use to kind of to, to survey the landscape. We're thinking of all kinds of ways that we can get after that mission much more efficiently and effectively in the future. So that's a great question. We've been thinking a lot about it, and we're shaping that future right now as we speak, Angela. Wonderful. Aaron, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think that um, what Dr. Pittman laid out is very robust and and also very holistic in covering a lot of the mission areas across the Corps. And, and I will invite you, please come and talk to us because the Institute for Water Resources, we're definitely touching on these. We have the uh, Hydrologic Engineering Center out in Davis who is the expert in H&H modeling and so on. So please, please reach out and say hello. But I think that 
the technology, the trends, where we're at, you know, right now at the Institute for Water Resources and in cooperation with headquarters and beyond is they're working on the civil works business integration, which is all about data. And they're trying to get the technology to the point where we really can take advantage of what's coming next. You know, the key is to free our data and make it meaningful. With that said, what technologies are out there? You know, we have things such as data pools that we need to be able to grasp. We need to consolidate our data. We need to use RESTful APIs so that we can make more use of the data we have and make it more meaningful, more sharing. You know, we need to share and share good data across uses, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of other agencies and the public. When we do that, we will create products. Uh, products will be created that are not created by the Corps of Engineers, but others that will become much more meaningful and useful to users at the end of the day. Specifically, next-level next technology, blockchain. It's one of those things you look it up, and I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around it, but I'm telling you it's going to change the way we do business. Blockchain is absolutely out there. It's coming. The sooner we can start looking at it and embracing it, the better off we're going to be. Some of the things that Dr. Pittman mentioned, robotics. I'm not endorsing any companies here, so let me make that clear, but if you look at some of the examples out there by Boston Dynamics, incredible robots that will be able to do some of the data collection that we can't get to easily and be able to then pair that with artificial intelligence. We put that on a platform that manages the data well and the endless possibilities. I mean, we're really just limited by our creativity when you start piling innovations together, you know, the augmented reality, data processing, 3D renderings. But looking outside of that, again, the trends, more and more people are working remotely. They're working in innovative arrangements, working anytime, anywhere. And the recruitment avenues are continuing to get better. And I think that that kind of soft skills and how we manage our own people is going to be more of an emphasis and continue to push innovation forward. Other things out there, personal assistant devices, and how does the data we have work with those? How can we use those to make our workplace better? So there's a ton of things out there. Challenge.gov has been around for over 10 years, and I don't think we've even tapped into the power of that yet. Uh, the Dutch are using sensors on a lot of their infrastructure, and when you put that with the environment that we're talking about in the future, it really opens up so many more doors to better manage our infrastructure as a whole. Social media has been used in crisis management by other organizations for a long time. There's some studies that show out there that the public, one in three in the public would post a public media in the event of a disaster or a crisis, and they actually expect us, you know, government, to be there within 60 minutes. You know, how are we responding to these needs? You know, how are we using social media to recruit and identify the public in, that is impacted by our infrastructure, by how we're managing things? How do we better engage in crowdsourcing, citizen science, policy development? There's a whole realm of things that we just haven't quite got our hands on yet, but uh, others are out there, they're innovating, and we just need to learn from it, steal it, and hopefully be better for it. Great. Thank you. Yeah, those are some great examples, and I know I will be uh, Googling some of those online to to find out more. Um, I, I think we're about 
at our time and are going to start to wrap up, but I wanted to offer each of you the opportunity for any last thoughts or, or input on this topic. I know we could probably go all day, but wanted to get any uh, last thoughts from, from both of you. So, Dr. Pittman, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, thank you, Lauren and Angela, for putting this podcast together. I mean, I think that's a great innovative thing, frankly, is is it just one more way of, you know, communicating with our team across the core, inside the castle, so to speak, just what are those ideas out there? So we have something called the Technology Innovation Strategy, if you've heard about it. It's something signed off by the chief, the great Seminole, uh, one of the last Seminoles he sent, uh, General Seminole, before he retired. And it really talks about, you know, discover, develop, deliver, you know, uh, sustain and connect. But that last piece, that connect piece, was connecting all these pieces together across the core. Knowledge management is another word for it. But, you know, how do we connect better? How do we learn from each other? And that's one of the best ways of innovating is to see what somebody else did and try it yourself. So thank you for doing this for us, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. I'm glad you mentioned the innovation strategy. You know, I think it's the foundation for UCS, but I think we have so much more to do. And I think we, again, need to draw on examples across DOD, the Army, but also other agencies in, in where they're going. You know, the White House Digital Government Strategy came out um, while Obama was president, and largely we ignored it, and we can't continue to do that. You know, the future will absolutely catch up to us, and it's whether or not we're ready for it. And so we do need to be more forward-looking in that regard. You know, a couple last-minute thoughts is we need to stop piloting and start doing. A lot of the folks that are doing these pilots know what they're doing. We need to let them go and start creating the change that we want. Um, clearing the hurdles, senior leaders, please clear the hurdles for us. You know, let's get policy streamlined. You know, right now there's so much policy that you can't hardly say or do anything without breaking some rules somewhere. And when we do break the rules as innovators, we want you there to support us. Don't police us. Support us. Help us to do it right. And talk to each other. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. You know, at Institute for Water Resources, we have a center of collaboration and public participation center of expertise. And I was a bit of a skeptic, I have to admit, when I first came to IWR. But the more and more that I'm there, the more I see the value of collaboration. And one of the ideas that has is a shared vision planning. And it really is getting all the stakeholders in the room and talking about the problems and working together to solve them. And that, I think, is fundamentally innovation and where we need to be. It's getting everyone in the room. It's not necessarily top-down driven. Certainly, top-down driven um, creates the environment and the culture and the support. But we have to, from the bottom up, make people feel comfortable to work together, call people outside of their office, and solve problems at the end of the day. And it's an attitude. You know, we need to recruit the best and the brightest who are focused on problem solving and learning. I don't care what discipline you're from. I care that you want to solve the problem and work together. And I think that's key at the end of the day. Thank you both. And you both highlighted the importance of communication. So, you know, we definitely want to keep these podcasts going. And with that, I want to reach out to our listeners and, and say that we want to hear from you. Uh, what topics are important to you and, and who would you be interested in hearing from? So please let us know by emailing the infrastructure team email at cw.infrastructure.team at ucase.bonnie.mil. And we would love to get those suggestions as we continue to do these podcasts. 
So thank you, Dr. Pittman and Erin, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We really do appreciate your view and your insights on innovation. So until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.